0: the next startup that comes around Twitter or whatever, these things are worth billions and billions of dollars before they even sell anything. It's because the amount of attention they've garnered. Mm -hmm. So all of what's valuable right now, it's really we run on an economy of attention. So that's on one side of the equation. We're buying and selling each other's attention. It's constantly being stolen from us, all that. Then on the other side of the equation, this is the interesting part that my friend and I were talking about, was if you look at every single spiritual tradition, you got to
1: accentuate the positive. (laughs) Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life.
0: Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now.
1: Hello? And welcome to another hour, Accentuating the Positive. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I've called blissful beings. On Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you empowers you and reminds you of who you really are instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. I have another delicious guest for you today to chat with. He is an Emmy award-winning actor, filmmaker, writer and producer. His name is Michael Gorigen. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Let me tell you what he's done. His credits as an actor, he's been in Party of Five, Living Las Vegas, SL Punk, and he is a filmmaker and achieved widespread recognition for a film that I discovered him in recently that I just loved called Illusion, starring Kirk Douglas, who is 100. Did you know that Kirk Douglas is 100 and he's still alive like that? Because after I watched the film, I kind of stalked you online and thought, who is this guy? And is Kirk Douglas still alive? And all that sort of stuff you do. And he's still alive and he's 100. That's amazing. How old was he when he was in your
0: film? I think he was, let's see, 2006. He was about 90. Just He was 89, I think, when we shot with him. Wow. Um, yeah.
1: That's amazing. Look, I just loved the film. But what I found when I stalked you online was that you've just written a great book, which you sent me and I read, called What Lies Beyond the Stars. But what excited me about you was when I was watching the movie, I was enjoying your acting, thinking, God, this guy's deep. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. And then at the credits I found out that you wrote and produced the film and and started it. And I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) And found out that you also directed... Hay House documentary, Louise Hayes film, You Can Heal Your Life, and Wayne Dyer's film, The Shift. So, you know, you're one of the sort of new agey tribe. <laughs> one, of the, one of the tribe. Yeah. How, did you, how did you get into exploring consciousness and, you know, what was your journey, Michael?
0: Wow. <laughs> well, there's many answers to that question. I would just say I've always had a curious mind. Actually, I grew up, my father's a scientist, uh, works for NASA. And so I've, I think somewhere between science and philosophy and then uh, just having a deep longing to know why I'm alive, why I'm here, what life is all about, drove me into reading a lot and discovering, you know, different things. And I would say it, it roots out of curiosity.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, that was my journey as well. But a lot of people, you know, have their awakening moment through an illness or any death experience or a divorce or some trauma. Actually, and you explore that in your book. Like, that's the journey of the character in your book he's going through some trauma and he starts you know the trauma pushes him to ask different questions and yeah. uh but that didn't happen for you it's just a curious mind it was like why are we here what are we doing here and where did we come from and all that sort yeah. stuff.
0: yeah I would say I mean I did I had asthma as a child and I know <laughs> uh I'm laughing
1: because I, I did too
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh, and my I grew God. up in in the seventies. And so, you know, inhalers didn't exist when I was a baby. Uh, They were kind of invented while I was a a, a toddler, I guess. Anyways, I I had a lot of experimental asthma medicines and things, and just a lot of growing up with that, that, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a life or death experience per se, but I would say that it's true, at least for me, a lot of my hunger to understand and, and curiosity about life and bigger questions did come from some of the struggles or the trauma that I went through as a, a kid. I think that definitely drives a lot of people, including myself, that I would think that that was a bit of a cause.
1: Yeah. Well, for many, it seems to be the cause, as Esther would say, the contrast in life, the dramas mm-hmm. in life push you to give birth to desire. And then that desire that you give birth to, like when you're sick, you say, I want to be well. And when you're lonely, you say, I want to be, you know, not lonely. And when you're poor, you say, so that desire takes you down a path to find out how you can achieve that. And it took you down this spiritual path, I suppose. How did mm-hmm. you get in contact with Louise Hay and, and come to make the documentary?
0: So as you mentioned, Illusion, the film that I made with Kirk Douglas, when that was done, a company called Gaim, uh bought it, which is, uh, I think, how you saw it, right? Through mm-hmm. the Guyam channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, through that, I met a, a guy named Gay Hendricks, um, yeah. who's a, a, a therapist and a wonderful, wonderful man. And he really enjoyed the film. And he had just written a book for Hay House, I believe. And he was the one who came to me and said, do you have any interest in, in doing a documentary about Louise Hay? And, um, I actually had no idea who she was, uh, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And, so you were
1: uh, and yeah. truly entrenched in mainstream. It's funny because uh, I grew uh, up with Louise Hayright, And when I say to my mainstream friends, you know, to me, she's a rock star. And right. I'm like, who? <laughs> I'm like, really?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the same was true with, with Wayne. When I, I first met him, I had no idea who he was. And, yeah. Uh, you know, since have become very good friends with, or had wonderful relationships with both of them. But uh, yeah, with Louise, he had an idea, you know, wanted to make a documentary about her. And I, you know, making independent films is, uh, it's tough. Uh, mm-hmm. Making Illusion, I made that sort of piecemeal. I shot, the way the film is done is uh, there's three different sort of segments of the Sun's life. I play the Sun. And I shot each one of those separately. I shot one section and then I used what I shot to raise money to do the next one and then use that to raise money to do the next one. And then after I'd shot all the son stuff, then I went out and to get an actor to play the father. And so the stuff with Kirk Douglas, we shot like two years after we shot everything else. Wow,
1: Uh, really?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a very, like, I did it on credit cards and borrowed money. And I the, actually, the camera we shot on, I borrowed from uh, Francis Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola lives near where I live in California. And uh, a woman who works for him was producing the film for me. And he had a camera that was lying in a um, warehouse and she's like, well, we could probably use it. Let's just, so eventually he found out that we borrowed <laughs> the camera and he, he ended up supporting me and, you know, giving me a uh, uh, good support with the film. It's
1: but not easy, the film industry. It's not no, easy. It's no, no, but it was a
0: very, yeah, it was a very kind of scrappy, just doing it, you know, just trying to make something happen. Um
1: well, I wanted—I wanted, you know, give you my critique on it because I was a member of Spiritual Cinema Circle for a long time and watched a lot of those sort of independent, you know, New Age spiritual uplifting movies because I didn't watch the—I didn't want to watch the crap that was on television—and I found many of them oh, so hard to watch because they were so um how can Preach I be about this well not preachy it's just the production quality was so bad you know right. I mean right. some of them were preaching some of them weren't and um you know some of them had a brilliant message but the way they were portrayed it's not easy putting your message in a movie that's going to be engaging and yeah. and heart opening and enlightening this is a not this is not an easy combination it's not an easy yeah you know menu Recipe, I should say. So, when I was watching Illusion, I was like really loving it because I'd been watching some other stuff on Gaia that was kind of heavy. And I just thought, oh, you know, I want to watch something better. I want to watch like Mm -hmm. a movie. And at the end of it, I was so uplifted. I was just so happy. And that feeling of happiness that the movie gave me made me, you know, research you like, who is this guy? And Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) so that was my two cents worth. I actually thought the production was was really good.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Well, and this actually getting to uh, working with Louise Hay and then Wayne Dyer and then even the book, this plays into it a lot in that first and foremost, I am an artist. I love being creative as an actor, as a writer, as a filmmaker. I really love good art. Um, I care about it. And with Making Illusion, I didn't set out to make a spiritual film. Um, a lot of the ideas in it came from things I care about, but I try to make a good movie first. And then the message was underneath, uh, buried within the art or the story. And to me, that's what, and I've had many conversations with people who made, you know, all the, all, I know all the people in the spiritual cinema world, and Mm -hmm. I'm a very big proponent for, You've got a message, great. Be an artist first. Make a good movie first and have the message inside. Don't have the message be on top. Because if you don't care about the art, if you don't make a good movie, like you said, you have all these things that like the production isn't very good. Da-da. To me, that doesn't serve anybody. So with Illusion, we made the film as, as best we could. And, but the, the message in it you know, was something that had, was, was about deeper things it got the attention of Gay Hendrix and other people and Gay brought me to Hay House. And so with the Louise Fil- Hay film, after doing Illusion, I was dead broke because <laughs> making movies like that, that's what happens. So I was like, I'll take any job. I don't care. Sure. Louise Hay sounds great. So I really <laughs> went into it just as a hired hand. I was like, wow. I just need a job. And I remember meeting her for the first time. Gay drove me down to uh, San Diego, to Carlsbad, where they are. And, uh, It was the best job interview I've ever had in my life. I basically walked in with Gay Hendricks and Louise and um, Reed Tracy, who's the CEO there, were Mm -hmm. sitting at a table and said, Michael, this is Reed, shook his hand, and this is Louise. And I shook her hand and I said, hi, how are you? And she looked at me and she just kind of stared at me for a while. And she looked (laughs) at me, she looked at me and she went, Yep this is going to work. And that was it. <laughs> I love it. I was hired. He was just <laughs> reading in
1: your soul, honey. I know. But it's interesting yeah. that they pick someone like you that was, as you say, not into it when there are so many film directors out there that are into it, like really into
0: it. Right. It's kind of. Secret. Yeah. Well, and she, yeah, she, 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 my nickname was newbie. She would say, Oh, you're a newbie, honey. You'll you'll understand. You'll you'll get it after a while. You'll understand what we're talking about. Uh, So, (laughs) with that, I again approached it kind of... It was a documentary and, you know, there was a lot of information that Reed and Louise wanted to get across, but Mm -hmm. I tried my best to add some artistic elements to it. And then with that one, we did have a little bit of a, a sort of narrative thread. There's a woman who's walking on paths throughout the movie and um, I think
1: I read you said to her, you know, you have to put a story. It just can't be all talking heads. And, like, actually, the documentary is very much the message, the message, the message in that. Um, yeah. But And then you came to it with, like, let's let's wrap the message around a story so you put the woman in there. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, going from that to Wayne Dyer's film, The, the Shift, mm-hmm. I kind of was like, can I play a little bit more? Can we try to find a way to make it even more, you know, narrative? So that it's enjoyable to watch, and not just somebody telling you about what to do and everything. And so the the concept or the conceit for the shift it came from a film I did when I was like a teenager. I was messing around with the camera, and I I uh, I like the whole idea of having a film crew be the cast. And so with the shift, the idea is Wayne Dyer is himself, and the film crew were all actors, and they're going to interview him about his new book. And he's interviewed, and so he gets to talk about his ideas and stuff. But then you also see the film crew's reaction to it. And then, you know, after they film him, they're at a picnic table talking about, well, I don't know if I buy what he's talking about here or there. Then there's nice contrast and conflict and stuff. So that one is much more story-driven, and I think works quite well. A lot of people like that film. But again, it was trying to make it a movie, uh, artistic, with a message inside of it versus just here is a message, here's a bunch of ideas, and, you know.
1: You'd probably say that the same for writing, too, writing your message down, like put it, wrap it around a story.
0: Yeah, well, then, you know, with the the book that I wrote, What Lies Beyond the Stars, actually started as a screenplay I wrote many years ago that never got made.
1: It kind of reads a little like a screenplay, too, because I, yeah. I kept seeing the movie. Like, I, I guess everyone does that when you write a book, but, But really strongly, I kept seeing the movie. And the only frustration I had was there was so much description and dialogue that I wanted the story to continue. Like, what happens next? Stop talking. I want to know what happens next. That was my my impatient mind, right? But Mm -hmm. um, I just want to get back to Illusion for a minute. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, you said that it wasn't – you didn't make it as a spiritual movie, but the concepts in it, like he's in – he's looking at his Akashic record sitting there watching a movie of his son's life play out so the storyline is there's a rich Hollywood producer director film person lots of money that never marries and have children but some he knocks up some woman when he's quite old and she's quite young and she has this baby and he just ignores it and says you know deal with it and at the end of his life he's going over his life and then a. Uh, a spirit guide, a dead friend turns up. I mean, you say it's not a spiritual movie. (laughs) Like a dead friend turns up and says, hey, g'day. And he goes, are you dead? And he goes, yeah, well, I'm kind of dead but I'm not really dead and shows him some movies of his son's life that he never saw and he's sitting in a movie cinema watching. And I'm just thinking, oh, he's just looking through the Akashic Records. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I was exploring all this stuff, and thinking about what life is, because you called the movie Illusion. One of my favourite books in all, of all time was written by uh, Richard Buck, yeah, who I've interviewed. And, and, oh. and God bless Richard Buck, Illusion. But I was sitting in a cinema one day thinking about how we're all just light and love. It's all light and love, right? And then we're projecting this light into this illusion we called life. And we're perceiving it through our apparatus, you know, that is limited, that turns it into what we perceive as reality. But I was sitting Mm in a cinema one day contemplating this and I looked up to see this stream of white light above me and then as I followed the light, it was creating this illusion on the screen and it just dawned on me that, my God, this is life, you know, like this is who we are. We are in this movie. We are this light that's and looking up and seeing this white light, which is I remembered that as I was watching the movie because he's sitting in the cinema and then watching this um, not a spiritual movie. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely a spiritual movie. Uh, I would say my intention was to make a good movie Uh first and foremost, but to me a good movie is about deep ideas. You know, the the film is actually – based on a play by uh, Pierre Cornet, who wrote El Cid, and it's like from 1850, 1860, I think. And in the play, it's about an old man who had an illegitimate son and never knew who he was, and goes to a magician who then conjures up theatrical descriptions of what his son's life has been like. And as the play goes on, he... Goes from not caring about who his son was to wanting to help his son, and and so we took that and transferred it to what the film is, and yeah, the idea of the Akashic records, and um, there's a record of everyone's life, and and then going, you know, creatively, just thinking, well, what would that look like? Would it be home movies? Would it be like you know, video on Skype? No, they would be romantic. They would be like old you know beautiful old films that would have nostalgia to them and so the idea of an old cinema and having these dirty old reels of like oh here's you as a teenager mm-hmm. and me as a teenager looks like a teen film you know it has a, a feel to uh, the feeling of it and the feeling that you can get with film to me that's more the record than facts it's less about facts and more about the essence and so that's kind of why we went down the path we did with, with it.
1: Well, definitely memories wrapped around feeling. When you look back at your life, what you remember is usually attached to a strong feeling, be it a good one or a bad one.
0: Yes, that's true. With illusion, that's kind of what we tried to explore there, I guess.
1: Well, it was great. And I suggest everyone go out and watch it. Can people get it if they're not, you know, connected to Gaia?
0: I think you can get it on Amazon. Uh, things have changed so much in terms of distribution. Uh, is on? Is it on Netflix? It's not streaming on Netflix. It might be streaming on Amazon. It's out there. We just search Illusion, Kirk Douglas. Put it
1: on Netflix. My daughter's obsessed with Netflix at the moment. I shouldn't be giving a plug for Netflix. Anyway, um, <laughs> the book... <laughs>
0: Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> the book. I actually wanted to talk, but like all creative people, you like to talk about your creations and not your life, but I actually wanted to yeah. talk more about your life, but you've kind of skipped sure. over that.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll talk as much as you want about
1: <laughs> Okay, so where did the idea for the character come for, for the book? So let's just give people a bit of a outline of this character.
0: Sure. Um, Is it
1: related to your life at all?
0: I don't think there's a writer out there that wouldn't say what they write Uh, has nothing to do with them. Absolutely. It's, you know, related to me, but all the characters in the book are facets Mm -hmm. of, of me in various ways. All right. Let me tell you a little bit of the history of the book of how it came about. And that'll give you a sense how it's connected to me. I actually wrote, so I was an actor for many years doing television and film and I kind of got n- not turned off by Hollywood, but uh, I think I was acting in a lot of things that I didn't really care about. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't projects that I personally would watch or they were about things that, you know, uh, okay, CSI number 12, we're investigating another crime. It, just what uh, I was doing a lot of stuff that was other people would be like, wow, you're on that show. But I didn't really care about them that much. Mm-hmm. So from that, I got into writing and directing and thought, well, I want to make my own things. And very early on, I wrote a script called Beatrice, and it mm-hmm. was loosely inspired by, um, this is a bit abstract, but uh, Hermann Hesse, do you know Hermann Hesse? Mm-hmm. Uh, Demian and Siddhartha. Mm-hmm. He also, uh, so in Demian, there's a chapter called Beatrice And it's about a young boy, the main character in uh, Demian, sees a woman, a a girl in a park. He kind of falls in love with her, but he's too shy to talk to her. So he doesn't talk to her. And the next day he shows up and she's not there. And the next day she's not there. And so he starts drawing pictures of this girl and he names her Beatrice from Dante's The Divine Comedy. Beatrice is the angel that leads Dante from Purgatorio to Paradiso, so he names her Beatrice, and he's drawing these pictures of her. And later in the book, Damien, he's older and he finds a bunch of old pictures that he's drawn, and they're of this girl. And he's looking at them, and he realizes as he's drawn these pictures, they slowly become more and more his own face. So you can obviously you can interpret that as narcissism, I guess. Or you could also say that love is really a reflection of discovering one's own self or something deeper in in one's self.
1: Actually, that's what I loved about the book because I thought, is this going to be another book where some you know, woman (laughs) saves some guy? And I thought, I hope not (laughs) because, you know, we need to save ourselves. (laughs) But anyway, that didn't happen. Go on. Please go on.
0: So that is what inspired this screenplay that I wrote. 20 years ago. And uh, I tried to get it made. It didn't. Ha- it was one of those Hollywood disasters where I had the money and then I ha- uh, Michelle Williams, the actress Michelle Williams and myself were going to be in it. It all fell apart. And after that, I went, okay, I left Hollywood, came back to the Bay Area, San Francisco, where I'm from, and I made Illusion. And then from Illusion, I did other films, started working with Hay House and and then uh, after I did this final project with Hay House, Reed Tracy, the CEO there, asked, Well, what do you want to do next? And I was looking through old stuff and I found this old screenplay I'd written, Beatrice, inspired by that chapter in, in Demian. And, and I read it and I was like, Well, I'm glad I never made it because now I look at it and I'm like, Oh, God, this is horrible. But uh, I read it and I was like, There's something, there's an essence here that I, I think is quite good. I really care, I think could be good. And I talked to Reed about it. And he said, well, you have any interest in writing a novel? They started their fiction division, Visions, I think it's called, Hay House Visions. And um, I said, well, I don't know. Sure, why not? So I agreed to turn it into a novel. And I thought it would take me a year. It ended up taking me four years. Yeah,
1: it's a a long book. There's a lot to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It took a long time. But that's how it came about. And... Because it's something that has been with me a long time, the end novel, I put a lot of my own things I've learned, stuff I care about, ideas that I think are important, have kind of all gone into the book. Um, It's still at its base. It's a sort of a mystery, thriller, love story, something. I don't know what you would call it, but it's still a a story.
1: Thriller love story. It's all those things.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: You know, I think I think it's the people that are attracted to my show are are they're into it. You know, they're talking aliens, they're talking secret (laughs) space programs, they're talking life after death, they're talking a Catholic (laughs) record. They're into it, Uh, most of them. With all of that, there's a really important message, which is the message that I teach, which I call deliberate creation. It's the same message Abraham Hicks teaches. It's you know, it's about how we create and In this book, I think that that's the main message of this book, which I find really exciting. And we do it through our attention, like what we're focusing on, what we give our attention to. You know, there's a great old saying that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions because a lot of spiritual teachers will say it's your intention, like Wayne used to say this, your intention, your intention. Our intention is our desire, like I intend to make this movie and it didn't happen, you know, like there is this intention Mm -hmm. But it's this art tension that is really the most powerful part of all this and this is what the book's about. And, you know, what I love about it is it's so current because it's all about the tech industry and then he meets this sort of like gluten-free yoga teacher (laughs) which I'm surrounded by gluten-free yoga teachers. (laughs) It's just so, so current. And, you know, one of the, I've just written down a couple of quotes out of the book. And so for a lot of people waking up, which is where we are in our time, in our timeline right now, like I've been one of those new age hippies since I was 15, so people have been calling me crazy for years and I'm used to it. But there are a lot of people waking up and this Mm -hmm. is what they're asking. I want to know who I am. I want to know why I'm here. I want to know... What I'm supposed to do, really supposed to do, like this is the question your character asks and I, Mm -hmm. you know, I get that a lot from the people, my clients, like I want to know who I am, I want to know who I, I want to know what I'm supposed to do because I think so many people know that they're here to make a difference but they just don't know how that looks, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, how does that look? And like you, they might be working for the man and feel mm-hmm. like, I am so not making a difference. In fact, I'm probably more of the problem than the solution.
0: Right, right. So yeah. that's
1: what I loved about so I,
0: I Thank you. I, I um, One of my intentions, uh, so to speak, was <laughs> uh, no, I really, really loved what I guess you would call spiritual fiction or philosophical fiction growing up. So I read all of Herman Hess's Richard Bach, uh, you name it, I've read it. Zen of of motorcycle maintenance, like anything that was. And the thing is, is that I love, I mean, I, I read a lot of nonfiction as well, but there's something about fiction, the story that just for me resonated deeper. So Richard Bach's book, the fact that it's not real, it allowed something to go past my brain and more into my heart. And so because of that, I've always felt like, well, Demian is a great, great book or Steppenwolf or, um, sorry, I'm talking about Hermann Hesse, uh, Siddhartha. But the only problem is, is that they all take place in, not in my world. Yeah. And there have been these quintessential books like Way of the Peaceful Warrior Mm -hmm. throughout the years. And they really, you know, like Way of the Peaceful Warrior is fantastic. It was in the eighties, yeah, to have a spiritual book that's present, so much of the struggle that we face right now is modern it's the it's this computer it's technology, it's my darn cell phone, and how much it's constantly stealing my life mm-hmm. so to me, part of my intention was th- I, I care about these deeper ideas and love stories that explore philosophical ideas, but to write something current that addresses what we're struggling with now felt like an important, you know, something I wanted to tackle, which is what Mm -hmm. I try to do in the book. Because another side of where the book came from, I remember having a conversation with a friend about this, this interesting idea with attention. Currently, and this is kind of in the book, attention, you can really look at the current economy Things run on attention now in terms of currency. Uh gold, money, land, none of these make a difference. Attention is what we buy and sell. There, you know, the next startup that comes around, Twitter or whatever, these things are worth billions and billions of dollars before they even sell anything. It's because of the amount of attention they've garnered. Mm-hmm. So all of what's valuable right now, it's really we run on a, an economy of attention. So that's on one side of the equation. We're buying and selling each other's attention. It's constantly being stolen from us, all that. Then on the other side of the equation, this is the interesting part that my friend and I were talking about, was if you look at every single spiritual tradition, the major religions, but every belief system, or uh, I would even say more mystic sort of traditions, There's always at the core is some kind of practice that deals with the focusing of one's attention inwardly, whether it's prayer, meditation. Attention is the fuel, in a way, for a type of inner work or inner struggle that's needed to grow inwardly. And yet, on the other side, modern life is all about stealing that away from us, constantly pulling it away from us. So to me, that just went, oh, Star Wars is great in terms of the, the dark force and the light force. This is the real Star Wars going on. <laughs> the real good and evil is in that struggle, is represented in that struggle. And so that's kind of, to me, was at the heart of thematically what I was trying to sort of tackle in the book.
1: And yeah, you do it well. One of the first... I used to put out reminders from home quotes every week. I did that for years. And one of the first ones I ever wrote or channeled was attention. Pay attention. We say to people, pay attention. Pay attention. And I said, why is attention something that we pay for, that we're paying? Because what we give our attention to, we're buying into our life. And what we're buying into our life, we're literally buying into it. We're, we're creating, like we're creating it with our attention. As I said, you know, intention, attention. We intend to create one thing but we're focused on another. Like we intend to be rich but we're focused on how we've got no money. So that attention, like we're buying it into our life. So it is the creative process, the, what mm-hmm. we're giving our attention to. And as you say, there's so much stealing that attention. There's so much stealing that attention. And marketing is you know i can't watch television anymore cuz every ad on television is telling you how you haven't got enough that you can't have what you want you've got to work hard you've, you're not pretty enough you're not good enough you're not smart enough you're not enough you're just not enough and that's that's an attention seeking thing and they're just they're taking our attention with their big flashy ads and right. um that's why i watch kind of spiritual cinema type stuff because <laughs> i don't want right. that my attention to be focused on what i am not i want my attention to be focused on what i am right and as you say you really find that inside you know well
0: you to, i, you, you I also think like, yeah I, I i also think that other direction that attention can go um really you're talking about a surface layer um meaning what our attention is we've just what that is, I think for the most part, we look at that as just a singular thing. Well, my attention's just my attention. The idea that attention can develop, can grow, that there is more within you, that attention is really just a surface layer of a whole something much bigger. And yet we never even get through the surface because it's constantly stolen from us the fact that that there is another world within us that can be found but you need the attention your own attention to do it to me that's kind of the biggest secret is wow if i really th- there's something i'm missing out on but it requires this fuel in a way which is the most valuable thing i have which is my attention that i'm constantly selling um, you know we pay mm. you pay with your attention it means your attention is the, really the only thing of value, the main thing of value within you. If, if I want to take something from you, I take your attention. That's, that's who you are. I'm taking you. <laughs> so yeah. where that goes when you're not constantly giving it away and selling it and whatever, it's the beginning of a path, I guess, is the thing. Um, yeah. Understanding that that's the beginning of a new direction. And once you start to see that, there's, you know, a lot opens up, I guess.
1: I'm going to read a couple of things out of the book. Sure. Our existence is not only the thing at stake. Human beings are a part of a much larger system. And like the other life form that came before us, we arose on this planet to serve a very different, definite purpose, one we've lost touch with. Then there's another quote. One human is capable of making all the difference. One life may be all it takes to tip the balance. Good stuff. And, <laughs> But there is another part to who we are aside that you could say we have lost touch with almost entirely. Sometimes we experience in moments of great crisis, which was what we talked about, or in the presence of an extraordinary beauty or great love. Maybe there is an earthquake or maybe there is a moment your child is born or something for no apparent reason at all. You simply step off a plane into a new country and look around and realise I'm here, I'm me. And in that moment, it's as if this other self appears. For a moment you are alive in a completely different way and then it's gone. Some of the quotes out of the book. Don't you love this stuff?
0: <laughs> sure, go ahead, go for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is actually this is the this is the defining quote in the book for me, anyway, because it's got the name in it. Once you learn to see beyond the stars, she whispers, you begin to understand that anything you give your our attention to, anything we can dream, can become real. To me, that's the defining quote. <laughs> Anything, you
0: do,
1: anything that you can dream can become real because I think that's what we're all doing down here you know like we're all these creative geniuses coming into a very contrasting limited environment third dimensional environment to play with the tools that we have here to continue creating like you know the masterpieces are life, not just our movies and our books and our interviews and our paintings and our work it's you know the masterpieces Our life and uh Mm -hmm. can the two intermingle can the two exist coexist together as the same story really is that what you're doing with your life
0: yeah i think so (laughs) i'm still figuring it out um (laughs) i think that yeah. I mean, we live in a very weird, weird time and not to get back to technology, but technology in regards to the amount of, there's a great freedom, which is wonderful in one respect of, of um, sharing and telling and the, the border between life and art blurring. But I think there's a, there's a kind of There's the sacred and there's the profane. There's quite a bit of profane out there in terms of just sharing. Is reality TV really good TV? Is, Is sharing posts and making little videos of my life and this and that, is that filmmaking? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes something's captured and it's authentic. But at the same time, I think the idea of refinement and looking at art and one's life as a refinement, refining and finding depth through a kind of struggle. To me, that seems like the direction both of life and and art. And what I mean by that is, sometimes I go, Oh, God, I spent five years writing a book. And, and now I'm spending another, you know, probably another five years writing another book or, or writing, uh, working on a film. And I have friends who make like, Ten write ten books in a year, or ten you know make ten films, and and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I just slow? Am I? But the idea of the quality in life, especially when everything is so immediate and so disposable, I think there's something there for that I'm exploring personally. Um, it's not about quantity; it's about quality, and so as an artist that's informing my life to a degree.
1: So what struggles have you been through that's sort of woken you up? What were the challenges that, um, apart from the questioning mind and asthma, what were some of the challenges? Because I've been exploring that a lot because we do live in this contrasting environment. Do, Do we need challenges to wake us up or to think differently or can life be easier than that? Like does the struggle need to exist?
0: Well, when I'm, when I say struggle, I think, um, you know, those, to me, those big moments, those big things, when you survive them, they're blessings. (laughs) Because they do that, you know, it's an outside influence that shakes you and goes, wake up. Really, the big challenge is the small things. It's the daily life. It's the small, habitual mechanical behavior in my life that I'm constantly struggling against Um, to remind to be be able to remember to struggle against those things that's the biggest challenge um so I don't know if I'm really answering your question I'm sort of answering it by not not answering it to me it's not the big things it's the trying to be present to you know my son uh in the morning when I'm when he's, I'm playing with him with a train on the floor. To me, that's like uh, going to war with myself to be, really be there with him, not be thinking about, oh, I need to email that person or I need to do this or that. And I know it sounds small and petty, but it's not. That's really the biggest struggle in life. So
1: giving your attention to the moment, like giving your attention to the moment and not thinking I need to answer that email, like giving your attention to the moment you're sitting on the floor with your son playing the track because I mean that's what kids do, right? Their attention is in the moment. They're yeah. Usually, they're not. They're usually not thinking about what do I want for lunch or what am I going to do tomorrow or you know I fell over yesterday. They're like completely engaged in the now, which right. Eckhart Tolle has been Eckhart Toll has been writing about and inspiring people. You know, thousands, millions of people all over the world that the power of now. So.
0: Yeah, that, that to me is having been around, you know, I've, I've had the weird life of, I've met so many luminary people from Eckhart Tolle, Louise Hay, uh, Esther Hay, all these great people. And what I'm re- what I've realized is the messages and the ideas that everybody's expressing are pretty commonly, they're not that hard to understand here. But to live them, <laughs> to actually live them in life, that's the challenge. That's mm-hmm. the, and and why is it so hard to, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed, how I'm supposed to live, how I'm supposed to eat. How I, all those things. I get the answer. Wow. I understand it. How can I actually be that way? And that's a lifelong journey. That's, you know.
1: Yeah. You said it before, actually. It's that habitual mind. It's actually working with the habitual mind. There's a beautiful Uh, there's a beautiful book that I read. It's a tiny little book written by a woman who was a bit like you. She wasn't a spiritual writer, but she wrote this little book and then the rest of her work was more sort of creative, artistic work called The Guru. Anyway, it's about a whole lot of people that are um, queuing up to go and see the guru Mm
0: -hmm. who
1: opens the door and he looks like the doorman and people go, I'm here to see the guru. And he usually walks them through the house and and opens the back door and they step out the back door because they – They don't recognize him as the guru. They just think he's the guy answering the door. Anyway, it's a funny little book, but in the book... That's
0: awesome. I love that. (laughs)
1: It's a great book. i have to remember the name of it. He's got his little posse, you know, living in the ashram on the hill. And one of his monk members has the same cup, you know, that he uses every morning for breakfast or the same bowl. And he sits mm-hmm. in the same chair when he comes down and he and he has the same and he's got this routine. And then one day the guru takes his his favorite bowl and smashes it. And the guy's like, Where's my bowl? And it's like it broke. And it just knocks him out of his routine. And that's what we fight against, these habitual routine thought. And we get into this sort of like routine. Yeah. That's the habitual mind that the creative mind you know, fights against like smokers or, you know, like how do I give up this smoking? It's such a habit and or the way we eat or the way we sleep or, yeah. Well,
0: I'm a believer that you can't destroy that nature, that that's half of who we are. But
1: working with it instead of against Yeah,
0: yeah, because I, quite honestly, there's no way I would have been able to write a book without my habitual routines that I was able to craft to be beneficial to me, to be able to write the book. Um, but those same, that habitual nature, the pattern, the mechanicalness, that's also the thing that's keeping me from being present with my son or you know, these other things. So it's something within us that you don't want to necessarily destroy or get rid of, but how do you work with it? How do you have that coexist? Like in the book, there are two... The main character, Adam, there are two Adams. There's Adam who has grown up and gone through life and become a tech guy and this and that. And then there's the Adam who's still six years old, sitting on a, a merry-go-round in a playground who never got to live. And that, that self, that side is the side that we're all trying to have wake up and be, be present in our lives. So...
1: Yeah, the child, the childhood mind, It's full of wonder. That's full of wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to say, when you watch, not to plug Guyam, but there's a lot of stuff on there that makes you wonder.
0: <laughs> have you watched? <laughs> have
1: you watched any of the programs on there? Uh,
0: I no, I haven't. Um, I mean, I've flipped through a little bit, but I don't. Ha- I I haven't seen much of it. But uh, it's a lot of um, what kind of stuff?
1: Oh, I'm not going to go into it. People have found out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I,
0: my stuff uh, about uh, the
1: secret space programs making me wonder. I tell you. Uh, it's,
0: right. It's, it's, well, it's, the the quote that uh, one of my teachers often says um, is: "It's good to have an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out." <laughs> So, so,
1: that's it. <laughs> so who have you been, who's been, apart from the books, who's been your favourite teacher? You say that you hang out with, you know, they're the rock stars of my world. I don't care about the Hollywood movie stars. I care about people like Esther Hicks uh, and Tam, Wayne Dyer and all those people, you know. They're the rock stars of my world. Who who has been one of your favourite teachers?
0: Well, uh, Gosh, I mean, I'm, I would say there's a, a gentleman named Jacob Needleman, who I'm close with, who lives in the Bay Area. He's a philosopher and has written a lot of books in kind of more in the philosophical area. He's the real deal. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Being in the presence of somebody who's very much awake, you can feel it. And he's somebody who who is that. Um, And he's, yeah. I think there are are a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of very well-known people, but there are a lot of people out there that are not that Mm -hmm. well-known who have great wisdom, um, so.
1: Okay, another quote, and then we'll start to wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) The thing we call ourselves is largely cultural conditioning, which is what we talked about. We take the product of our outside influences to be who we are. I am my name, I am my career, I am my complicated past, my ambitions, my future, my social security number, my credit card debt. And if I ever have doubts about who I am, I've got plenty of relatives and friends with endless pictures to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So what part of the character
0: is you? Well, let's see. So Adam is... Uh, just to give uh, listeners mm-hmm. an idea, he is uh, works in the tech industry designing video games. And the, why the tech industry and why video games? I mean, in a weird way, it's a parallel to my own life in in Hollywood. Because he's somebody who's basically, I think there are a lot of people out there similar to me who are doing something that's creative, or or it's it's a part of them that is inspired but what are they serving? What do you, and, and there's a sense of, I'm putting all this effort into making this app that's going to help people get a better parking space. And the creative creativity of like what I'm doing is great. But then really objectively looking at it and going, is this really what I believe in? Is this, I think there's a lot of people, especially in the tech industry that are creative people that are kind of serving the wrong master in their mind and, you know, in a way. There are a lot of people that believe in it and what they're doing, and go, yeah, I really do care about this app. But I think there are a lot of people suffering what I suffered in that respect. So Adam, the main character, working in the tech industry, making video games that he doesn't really believe in. There's a side to Adam, and you know, in in the book, there's a whole parallel to uh, butterflies and the idea of the sort of baddie in the book. Ada Klein gives this whole monologue about butterflies and worker bees and um, there are a lot of people out there like Adam who are like butterflies that have put a lot of themselves into creating stuff, but they're not... He, Adam's partner, Blake, is more the business mind, the guy who knows how to exploit and do stuff, you know, take the what Adam created and go out in the world and sell it and make money on it. Make money on it. Um, I, I think that sort of longing to being in this life and doing kind of going along and doing the stuff, but there's a part of me that's going, wait, there's another life I'm meant to be a part of. And that to me, yeah, that's part of me, but I think there are a lot of people out there that feel that way. Um, but like I said, I'm kind of, you know, there are facets of me that are all these characters and there's Mm -hmm. definitely a side of me that's like Blake who feels like a sellout that is hawking my where, you know, taking my sacred things and just throwing them out there to try to make a buck. And, you know, I don't, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I think we all have different facets to ourselves. Um, and the good thing about writing a novel is you get to kind of turn them into their own little characters
1: <laughs> you get to explore all that look it's a great book for people that are awake but it's also a great book for people that are awake that are trying to explain to their friends and relatives you know what they're into because it is so mainstream they can give it a, as a present to their mainstream friends and I think that you know exactly what you talk about I think that desires in everybody Like years Mm -hmm. ago, I had a friend, I started on radio about five or six years ago with a a psychic friend and she lives on an island, uh, you know, up here and about an hour north of where I am. And to get to her place, you have to be on a boat. Anyway, the two of us were on a boat one day and we were talking about the different questions of our time. And she said... You know, I think the question of our generation is how can I make a difference? How can I make a difference? And I've been contemplating that. So I call my tribe the difference makers, you know, the people that are attracted because they are exploring, like, how can I make a difference? And I think that that's very much in the younger generation, probably the older generation is how can I make a buck and the younger generation is how can I make a difference? How can I make a buck and a difference? And that's the, yeah, that's the sort of dilemma that he's... um, exploring yeah
0: well if, if if that question for him i think and and i guess kind of for me would be really it's how to make a difference is first you got to be you have to be you have to be the difference how to be yeah uh there's before you go out and try to like change the world by doing this and you know there's a lot of people that are trying to, especially I'm in the Bay area, Silicon Valley, and everybody's trying to make an impact and great. But I think we first have to discover who we are first. There's a great challenge there and Mm -hmm. to become, to become more conscious and, and become more know who you are first is that's the real impact. Um, And it's in the, you know, I think in the book somewhere, the idea of, you know, it doesn't take the entire world. If, you know, a certain amount of people become more conscious, I think that in itself will change the balance. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, And it's not about, Oh, you've gone and, you know, created an NGO where you're saving all these, I mean, that, all that kind of work, social work is great. is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But just, trying to be more your present you know the the work of me with my son in the morning i strangely feel like that's kind of the most important work i could be doing uh in terms of making an impact on the world
1: mm-hmm. is
0: really just trying to be uh honestly um so
1: be conscious be aware be loving be connected yeah that's it. yeah all those things, but in everything you do, like in an interview with your son, with your colleagues, with your family, with the people that criticize you, with the family that calls you crazy, with the, you know, be loving, be connected, be in the moment. Mm -hmm. That's it. That makes the difference. That makes all the difference, which is, you know, going back to that line, one human is capable of making all the difference one life, maybe all it takes to tip the balance. I want to say one more thing uh, before we go. You know, Kurt Douglas read the book. He sent you a little note saying, <laughs> I love it. Are you going to yeah. make a movie out of it? Is there a part for an 100-year-old guy? <laughs> I, know. <laughs> gonna, I know. I'm going to show that. That was just brilliant.
0: <laughs> but, you know,
1: seriously, are you going to make a movie out of it? I'd so love yeah. to
0: do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're We're putting it together. I'm working with some producers to raise money right now, so... Um, unlike Illusion, hopefully I'll be making it not with my credit cards and, and, a, bo- <laughs> and a stolen camera from Francis Coppola. But yeah, I'm, I, I hope to hope to make it. And then I'm also working on a second. This is meant to be a trilogy, so okay. this is the first book, and I'm writing a second one right now.
1: So what's the title of the second one? We haven't got the title yet.
0: Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, it's Beneath a Fractured Sky. So, not to give away the end of the first book, but the second book is going to go very much deeper into uh, some of the ideas that are. Explored. So, have you got
1: have you got a producer for it? I mean, I think it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm getting all excited about it because I think are it's you, I think it's an important message. You know, it's like what I've dedicated my life to. I kind of put these shows on to talk, to have that you know talk about that. Like I talk about all sorts of things, Bosnian pyramids and all sorts of things, but. It's that.
0: Are there pyramids in Bosnia?
1: Yeah, watch my oh. last interview. <laughs>
0: uh, I'll have to go back to Bosnia.
1: But you know, presenting that sense of wonder too—that being yes, because you know that that line in your book. When I was a young eighteen-year-old backpacking around the world, I used to. I got a job for a youth hostel. Uh Um, what did we call ourselves we used to hustle people the hustlers we used to get people to come and stay at the youth hostel and I used to ride the trains on the Algarve and I remember being there nobody knew where I was in the world sticking my head out the train and just that sense of nobody knows who I am you know and having that identity like I'm not the girl that I went to school with or that someone's daughter or someone's sister I'm just this random girl on this train trying to get people to come to this youth and there was this sense of freedom and wonder that I, ha- I don't think I've ever experienced since, just sticking my head out the train, just letting the wind hit me and thinking, nobody knows who I am. I'm not my identity. I'm just this being and uh, mm-hmm. not attached to an identity. It was so freeing. And, yeah. Um,
0: well, that, that is. Yeah. That's that's, what, that's the be- to me, that's a moment that is the description of the beginning of a real of a life. Uh, the li- that's the life we're meant to live you know, not to quote the book again, but that's the life uh, I was always meant to live.
1: Well, I look forward to seeing the movie and to reading the next bit tr- in the trilogy and to seeing more from you, Michael Gorjian. It's been a joy and a pleasure. Thank you for... Um, thank
0: you so much. I want to come down much. to Australia. I...
1: Come on down. Yeah. You'd love to create, you know, like the creative community down here is amazing. Lots yeah. of filmmakers come down to make movies um, at Fox Studios, and and also in New Zealand. There's a great movie, and also in Broome. Broome is on the other side of the planet, almost on mm-hmm. the other side of Australia. Like Sydney's down the bottom, and Broome's all the way up the top. On the, so there's a lot of film industry going on there because you know I've got a lot of friends in the film industry, having been in it. It's, right. Yeah. There's um, I think there's a oh, there's a, lot,
0: some, a lot. There's of, a lot of great thinkers down there too i mean hay house there's a lot of uh, it's i i feel like hey uh australia there's a lot of people interested in well you i don't what you call it but uh spiritual ideas new age Look, ideas. A lot of
1: conscious people definitely yes but, you know we're a very small population uh, mm-hmm. on a very large land mass so we're only 22 million on this huge landmass. and um the thing is, if you go out to Outback Australia, like if you're in the country, you're not really bumping up against people that are having this conversation, not at right. all. But in the main centres, you know, in the cities, and yeah. there are actually a lot of conscious communities, like little villages, little towns of people that get together that want to live a sustainable life and they're all doing readings and meditating and sound and all this sort of stuff. There's Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, it's really yeah. quite incredible. It's quite amazing. That's what's going on down here. So, come sure. on down.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: if I had a big business that we brought, like everyone I speak to overseas, they always like, "I want to come down to Australia. One yeah. day I'll have it. I'll say to you, right? I'll sponsor you. We'll bring you down one day. That's on. You know, that's that's the intention. I've got to give That'll my be,
0: book number Book number three. Yeah.
1: But thanks for chatting with us today. And for people who want to get the book, I'm going to put my Amazon link on my webpage. So if you go there, I'll get a couple of cents from the Amazon link. Nobody ever does, but maybe. <laughs> I actually don't. I forget to tell people to do this. Yeah, it's a great read and I look forward to the next one. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank Bye, you. For Bye for now. Yeah, take care.
1: Thanks for joining me for another show, accentuating the positive. was it Michael gorgeous? Great to speak to a creative mind. Remember, if you want to join us in the inner sanctum, this is deliberate creation for the new old teachers. Each month I invite a guest from one of my shows to come in and talk to us. Please do so on the link below, karenswain.com slash the inner sanctum. Or if you'd like to have a personal reading What I do is I check out those subconscious habitual thought forms that are stressing you out, help you work with them instead of against them, help you find yourself and awaken you to your true potential. Thanks again for joining me. Bye for now.